everyone. Welcome to episode 223 of Manage the Wild. I'm your host, Nick Madsen. Today we're going to talk about something that I know very little about, and I need to do a lot more research, but I kind of want to throw it out there, see what you guys think, and you can let me know whether I hit the mark or missed the mark. It's the intersection between indigenous rights, so uh, Native American tribes, and big game management laws, and what's going on, because this was not a thing that I was aware of until about 2016. Then there's been some other cases in Wyoming and Montana that had made this, uh, I guess, not an issue, but this uh, thing that is some more prominent and aware in the public. And it was not something that I was fully aware of. So as we go through today, I'll make some mistakes because I'm not well-versed in this subject, but I kind of want to throw it out there so I can learn more about it. And then you guys can help me understand where I got it wrong. Now, I'm going to say some stuff and it's probably going to come off uh, sounding incompetent. And I probably am. And I'm okay with you guys educating me on what I got wrong and what I got right. This is not laws are something I am not well-versed in. And we will get there. So I first became aware of this back in about 2016. Uh, I was working with a biologist and I was sitting in on a meeting and they were uh, divvying up the tags they have for bighorn sheep. They had so many in the northern area of Utah, and they were giving some to archery, muzzleloader, rifle, a couple of special tags, and then there was a couple of tags sitting off to the side. And they didn't say anything about those tags. So I asked the biologist, what are those? And he said, oh, it's for the, the indigenous tribes here in Utah. Uh, they are allowed so many tags. We have worked with their tribes to allow them to be able to hunt their traditional hunting grounds. And I said, oh, do they pay for them? And, and no, they don't. And I was like, I was confused. I'd never heard of this topic before. There was a trade, a treaty, a treaty, a treaty that was signed back in the 1800s. Back in the 1800s that says that they were allowed to continue to um, access their um, historical hunting and fishing rights, and they had legal recognition uh, of their rights to hunt big game wherever big game was to be found that they had traditionally hunted. And I was not aware of that. So now, uh, years later, there's been a few cases. There was a, a gentleman who was accused of... Uh, illegally killing a bull, and he claimed uh, his native rights, and it went to the Supreme Court. I don't know what happened. I didn't look into that very much. But here's, here's what I do now. Indigenous people have inhabited this land forever. Uh, all the different Native American tribes have been here before Europeans ever got here. Europeans got here. They took these people. They disagreed with their views, and they put them on reservations as a consolation prize, because it wasn't a very good deal that happened to them, they were allowed to maintain their hunting grounds, their historical hunting grounds, because when they were put on these areas, these reservations and shoved away, they couldn't access them. But through this treaty, they were given the opportunity to do so. Indigenous tribes and nations are in a bunch of different countries. We have them here in the United States. They're also in Canada. And they possess what I would call 
uh, at least in this thing that I was reading, a degree of sovereignty. And that sovereignty allows them the authority to make decisions for their lands and their resources. And so they are working with uh, state and federal lands to be able to access these rights through the treaty. So indigenous communities are still allowed to subsistence hunt, subsistence hunting. And so they will go in and like here in the state of Utah, uh, they historically hunted bighorn sheep. That was predominantly what was here. There wasn't even that many mule deer or elk or moose. They were mostly bighorn sheep, obviously through disease and whatnot. We've killed a lot of them off, but they are still allowed access. And so the Utah Division of Wildlife works with these tribes to make sure that they allocate. Now, it's, they are working together to make sure that the population still is growing, but they still have access to these animals. Now, if the tribe wanted to, they could come at, they could say there's a uh, hundred bighorn sheep on this mountainside. The entire tribe could come out and they could wipe them all out. And there's nothing the Utah Division of Wildlife could do. Now, that's not how it works because they also, a lot of these places, uh, places, a lot of these um, indigenous tribes have their own wildlife biologists. They are working on protecting their own resource because it's part of their heritage, more so than it is the Europeans who came over, like my family, back in the late 1800s. Or, yeah, 1800s. So, cultural significance for these guys. Obviously, they have been here forever. And so wildlife are very important to their cultural heritage. Also, not just cultural heritage, but they put a spiritual value on these animals as well. So being able to access these animals is not just passing on the traditions of their beliefs, but also their religious traditions as well. And so it's it, for me, it's kind of nice. Uh, some people get a little frustrated because there's animals they don't have access to. But for me, it's, it's awesome that they have the ability to go in and they can go in and harvest these animals because maybe we as Europeans and early Americans came in and we just shoved them off their land that they no longer have access to. In most cases, nations and the government agencies have established what they call co-management agreements. These agreements recognize the indigenous rights, but they also involve the indigenous communities in the management of big game populations. Now, in the state of Utah, they have some populations that are mostly on reservation or these nations and like a bison population. And so the state really has to work with them to maintain these populations. And there has been really good interaction. Sometimes there's not. There's, there's legal disputes uh, constantly all the time. Um, maybe, maybe it wasn't apparent as somebody come in and killed an elk that they were claiming their historical rights and there's been some issues there. And it's mostly about inter interpreting the historical treaties and, and understanding the sovereignty of the indigenous peoples. These indigenous communities, they often share the same conservation goals, if not more so 
we want a group of population, maybe because it's financially beneficial and it looks good for the state of Utah, but they are more tied to the land because it's part of their history as well as part of their religion and their belief. So there comes the challenge, though. Now you start balancing the interests of not just the people of Utah, but these tribes and nations as well. And so there's a bit of a, a balancing act because some people are saying you're taking too much from us and the indigenous tribes are saying you've already taken so much from us, we want just back what's ours. And so there's a little bit of an issue there. I, I personally have never been involved. I don't know how the conversations go, but it seems to be working out. The one thing that I think we could do more of, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is make it more of an awareness that it's going on. Uh, I think people are often shocked when you say a tribe could come in and kill all the elk, and they don't, but people are shocked that they just can come in and do that. Well, it's part of their rights. It's part of the treaty that was passed, and so there's just been some challenges. There are a few examples that I have that I have come up with, and you guys can tell me whether I am wrong or not. The Northern Cheyenne Tribe in Montana, uh, they've been involved in a lot of legal battles over their traditional hunting rights for generations. They have the treaty rights that grant them access to the lands, but conflicts over issues from hunting seasons and regulations. Now, the tribes are working with the state and federal agencies to find common ground, but it's been one of, for me, it looks like one of the most contentious ones where they are not allowed access to certain parts or uh, they want to be, they want them to be restricted to more uh, season regulation dates. Here's another one. This one is not necessarily big game management and you'll have You'll have to forgive me on the pronunciation of the tribe. It's in Washington, and it's the Maka, Maka tribe in Washington. And they have a long history of whaling. And whaling, as we know, is controversial because you look at the Chinese and the Japanese, and, and uh, there's a bunch of controversy going on there. And so they have had to fight quite a bit to be able to uh continue to access those historical rights. So not only do you have the complex issues, but now as times are changing, it's more of an ethical discussion. And then the Crow Nation, again, in Montana has faced uh, challenges related to human rights and big game hunting. Again, the treaty grants them the right to hunt these uh, areas, these um, vast territories, I guess, so to speak, including lands that are now part of Montana, but they've had to go in and have discussions and negotiations with state authorities, whether they should be stuck to a season, whether they should have some quotas, and just the overall direction they want to take wildlife. It's a complex issue, but it's not. And it's fascinating to me, but I don't understand very much about it. But that's all I got for you on that topic. Uh, if I got anything wrong, go ahead, hit me up, let me know. I always like to learn and grow in knowledge. That's why I'm doing this podcast. You guys are following me along my journey as I understand the complexities of wildlife. So hope you guys have a great day. Stay wild.